titles God with us. And we're going to have a look at all that went into God being with us. And uh, I, I'm going to interrupt my very fancy introduction just to say, um, many of you will know Mike and Daphne. He led us in the breaking of bread this morning. We celebrated his 70th Friday. Friday. And uh, Mike and Daphne planted this church in 1997, and they're still going strong. How about that, eh? Three score and ten years later. So it sets a high standard for the rest of us, right? And um, so you can turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Thanks, Howard. You can give us that next slide. Over the next number of weeks, I'll show you the next installment in this uh, young lady's journey. It's uh, quite interesting. It's American, but uh, and there's school buses and parks and so on. But what's been so interesting for me is it just brings it up to date. Could you imagine one of your friends? Maybe some of us have had the experience of knowing someone that finds herself in that young lady's position. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? The shock and the scandal, the pain, the trouble in the family. Fortunately, it was before social media and WhatsApps, but word would have got out fast. And in all of this, God was at work preparing the next stage of God with us. And we'll look in a later week how Mary responds to the angel, responds to the, to the command of the Lord and saying, I'm the Lord's servant. I'll do whatever it is that you ask of me. And the lady at the end of the video said, so what is God asking of us? And how will we respond to her? I love the fact that this puts the story in our modern day milieu, our context, and it helps us imagine. Now, whether or not Mary wore jean pants, uh, we can argue over tea. Uh, if anything, they would have been Levi's, right? Okay, and um, but it does suddenly, I mean, for me, when I watch that video clip, I think, oh, that's close to home. It's fine when I read it in the Bible about some lady who dressed different, who lived different, who spoke different. It's, it's, it's back there on the, on the Christmas cards. But when I see it, someone that looks like me, man, that comes very close to home. But I want to remind us this morning, there's a process, there's a journey that God takes. And it almost at so many stages could have gone wrong. And like this lady says, what is God asking of you and me? So Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Profound. And I had to Google because I suddenly had a crisis of conscience when I was preparing. I said, well, if God said he prophesied in Isaiah, because this is Matthew quoting Isaiah. Isaiah was around 700 years before Jesus' birth. He was a prophet. Um, uh, he, he's called one of the major prophets because he, his book is long. But the, the point is he writes numerous prophecies about Jesus who was to come 700 years later. And when Jesus is born, Matthew puts it this way. He quotes Isaiah and he says, this is the truth. This is the evidence that leads up with saying, this will be the sign for you. Something that's not possible will take place. (laughs) 
You see, because when it comes to Jesus, the least impressive thing of his life is the virgin birth. Mark led us so wonderfully well. We all have a past, right? <laughs> that we desperately need to be uh, remedied. We're saying, what can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is a more, that is a greater, a more powerful miracle than Jesus being born from a lady who was not yet married. Yeah? I hope you can make the conclusion. We're in the holidays, so we've got a family service, right? As the Bible says, a lady who had not yet known a man. Right? Miraculous. And so the, Matthew insists that this is the evidence that Jesus has come to be God himself with us. So the New Testament opens with a bang. How's that for an opening uh, 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 shots fired over the bow? Matthew begins, he, if you read the first chapter of Matthew, he begins with the family tree of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. Remember, Matthew's writing to a Hebrew audience, so he talks like Hebrews talk. I said to someone the other day, uh, they introduced themselves and they said, oh, this is a family member. And they, they induced a family member. I said, and the person said, so who is that to you? I said, no, they're just speaking like an Afrikaner. You see, because English people say, this is my cousin or this is my brother-in-law. Afrikaans people say, this is my sister's husband. Am I right? You can stone me later. But uh, the, the, all I'm trying to say is we speak differently. We can use the same words when we translate, but the origin is different. And so Matthew was talking to people who spoke a certain way, who thought a certain way, who certain things were important to them. Often say, when you come from KZN, the first thing you ask when you meet someone is, what school did you go to? Because then you know whether you're better than them or they're better than you. Yes, when you come from Cape Town, you say, where do you live? Because if you live in the posh suburbs, you know you're better than them. And if you, they live in the poorer suburbs, you know they're poorer than you. When you live in Joburg, Gauteng, what do we ask? What do you do? Huh? Because very quickly I can rank myself in a pecking order. So you understand, we're all South Africans, but in three parts of the country we think differently. And so Matthew is answering some questions to people that think a certain way. And so he starts with the genealogy. How's that for an opening uh, uh, way to his book? He begins with a family tree of Jesus all the way back to Abraham, the great patriarch, the father of their faith. And it says um, uh, in verse 16 of chapter 1, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. He starts with the family history and he brings it all the way to this Little boy Jesus, who was to be the Messiah. Then he tells them of an angel appearing. You can read it. An angel appearing to Joseph and proclaiming Mary's son would be the Messiah. Then he quotes this passage from the book of Isaiah, which proclaims that, and he proclaims that Mary's son would be the Messiah. Then finally he talks about the Magi. Remember the Magi? Guaranteed you're going to look at them pretty soon. Hey, the three wise men. You know the Bible, let me just tell you what we'll talk about on Christmas Day. You know the Bible never says there were three men. They were ne he never, the Bible never says there were three, they were men, nor they were wise. It says they were magi. They were clever. They were the scientists of the day. They were the astronomers. So all of those things we take for granted are 
conclusions. It would be easy for Matthew's readers to say, yes, but what do foreigners know anyway? These major, these Persian people that came from the Middle East, what do they know? And so he goes on to say, Matthew says that King Herod, their king, the Jewish king, he rules that every boy under the age of two be put to death. So here's the process. This is the opening book of the New Testament. This is the cliffhanger right here. So, Jesus, so, so Matthew begins with a Jewish expectation. So he shows the family tree. This is the origins. He goes on to say... Anyway, he goes on to, to, to speak about the angelic endorsement. An angel appears to both Mary and to Joseph. And for those of the Jews that were spiritually inclined, there was a whole sect that was very impressed by angels and angelic beings. He says, if you are those, those types of people, well, the angels answer your question. If you the historic conservative types, well, then the family tree answers your question. He says, if you're, um, if you're, uh, 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 believe in the Old Testament. He says the prophetic anticipation of Isaiah. Jesus is the ful- fulfillment to that. He says if you're neither here nor there, then we have the unbiased co- corroboration of the major. Matthew's bold opening gam- gambit is that is that this God who you worship in the temple, a holy God who is removed from his people, such that in the Jewish system, only the high priest and only once a year was able to go into the Holy of Holies, which was where God's presence dwelt. So you understand, this is where we're coming from as far as the hearers of this book begin. God is removed. He has acted, but he is relatively removed. He's left them his law, the Bible, or the Old Testament. And he says, you who worship in the temple, a holy God who is removed from his people so that the high priest can only go into the holy of holies, the presence of God, once a year. This same God, he says, has come to us, has become one of us, and has come to dwell with us. This will be the sign to you, he quotes Isaiah. The virgin will be with a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is a which is a Greek word, which means God with us. And I had to quickly check. I just had to make sure of myself that I wasn't telling you stories while I preach. I'm thinking, but if God, if they said you will call him Emmanuel, then why did they call him Jesus? And then, fortunately, as I did some research, well, the Bible says you will call him many things. For to us a son is a child is born, and to us a son is given, and he will be. You will call him Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Almighty God. He got plenty names, <laughs> and it's to help you and me, people with limited intellect like me, to understand the facets and the nature of who Jesus is. And so Matthew starts the starts his book, which begins opens the Bible by insisting that this great God has made the effort. He has acted so that he has come near to you and me, that God can be Emmanuel, God with us. Right, so let's have a look. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, you should be there. We'll read this from verse 18. Earthed in the scriptures. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 says, because her husband was faithful to the law, another way of writing that was because he was a righteous man. Okay, 
other way you can use in the English. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. <laughs> I mean, forgive me. I, the only alternative is that the preaching is so bland it doesn't even like bother you one way or the other. I'd rather listen to preaching that bothered me, made me a little angry, than preaching that never made me one way or the other. I would rather have me. You can choose what you want to listen to, but I'm setting you up, aren't I? But, I, I, I mean, these days, these things that we talk about, about, about Christmas, these days, these things happen, and it's scandalous in the family. Isn't it? It's, and for some of you listening to me this morning, it's very close to home. And I don't mean to be insensitive. But I do want to insist that we recover something of the reality, the earthiness, the, the truth of what must have been transpiring, rather than just read it as a little story from the Bible that affects me not. Is that all right? So I'm tiptoeing here on uncomfortable ground, not wanting to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but we must reclaim the truth that God with us is the intention of all eternity in heaven. <laughs> I mean, can, can you imagine? Colette and I went out for four years. We were engaged for about four months. And uh, she's convinced that was too long. She could have done a wedding with her mother in two, in two months, right? Nowadays, you've got WhatsApp. It could go even quicker. But so we've always counseled long courtships, short engagements. Just for free if you're planning on getting married. But could you imagine as a couple... Now, in the Jewish system, before you were married, you were betrothed, but the lady was like your wife. You just didn't live with her yet. If you wanted to leave your betrothed, it was almost like a divorce. Okay? Can you imagine this young man? All of a sudden, his wife-to-be tells him a deep, dark secret. What on earth? What do you think? No one else in the village but Joseph knows it wasn't him. Yeah? I mean, my goodness, the lengths that God goes to coming near to man. He could have sent the angel and stopped there. God can do anything. He could have sent an angel to everyone. But he chooses a different way. Isn't that amazing? God with us. So Joseph thinks, well, Quietly, I'll just, you know, we just, we'll part ways. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll go work in the village next door. No one hopefully will ask me the questions and we'll just pretend as everything's all right. You know those arguments you have you just never refer to again? You move jobs and hope no one that doesn't follow you. Change cities and you hope no one knows what happened in the past, previous one. Verse 20 it says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. I mean, do you understand the things that God is asking of this couple? And by extension, that's the example. What can God ask of you and me? Imagine putting your hand up and saying, persecute me for something that I never did. Huh. 
Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph spoke up, sorry, when, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Today in the West, in our culture, in our society, we take Jesus' entrance into the world for granted. We've heard the story so often that even if we don't believe it, Christmas has become part of our culture. If nothing else, we buy the presents, we shop the, sh you know, we go to the shops, it becomes just part of what we know. But for the Jews, this changed everything. I, I want to help us to remember this morning that there was no Santa Clauses coming to town playing in the Jerusalem Mall. There was no tinsel in the shops by September. There was no concept of Christmas. I mean, you and I, we, we get, I'm just looking for a baby baby. From like nappies you understand about Christmas, right? How many of you parents aren't guilty of getting your kids Christmas presents before their first birthday? Yeah? It's like in us. It's the it's world we grew up in. These Jewish people knew nothing of what we take for granted. There was no God with us. <laughs> the very concept or identity by which God chose to reveal himself to mankind was undergoing a radical, irrefutable revolution. God had appeared as a burning bush. That was the concept they knew. God had appeared appeared with writing the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. Those were the images they had in their mind. <laughs> they weren't singing, you, what? There you go. You better be good. You better be nice. Yeah. <laughs> He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He knows if you're naughty or nice. But that wasn't a thing for them. Their concept of God was distant and removed. It was the God they served from the Torah, the, the law, and it had a whole lot to do with keeping of regulations. That's all they knew. And God radically, irrefutably brings a revolution to the understanding of God and man to these poor people. And the point, God himself was no longer far off, but he had entered into our experience. He had come near to us. I'd like to tell you the story of two brothers. Can we have some names? We've got Johnny is the one brother. Okay, can we have another brother? And <laughs> how's that? <laughs> so there's a grandpa sitting a few rows behind you, Johnny, and he put his hand up to be called one of the sons, and his name's John. So how about that? So we've, right? So come on, I need a second boy's name. John and Johnny. Okay, uh, interesting mothers. Uh, <laughs> so John and Johnny, two brothers, go to church. And they sit through the whole service and bored out of their minds. And they're very naughty, these boys. They, they, I mean, they, they, every time they walk past a neighbor's cat, they kick it. They burnt the other neighbor's apple tree to the ground. They were playing cricket in the street and the cricket ball went through the, to the neighbor's car's window. The mother was pulling her hair out. She didn't know what to do with these boys. So she took Johnny and John to church. She sat them in the front row and forced them to sit through the whole sermon. 
I was a very grumpy preacher who, who, who moaned and, and ranted and raved, maybe like this one. And at the end of the meeting, she grabbed the two boys' hands and she took them to the priest. And now she told the priest what troublesome boys these were. And she put, stands it in front of the priest and she says, you deal with them. And she walks off. <laughs> Some of you have had this experience before. <laughs> and the priest stands on his tiptoes and he looks down at them. Johnny. And you know, priests have a few tricks up their sleeve as to how to impress little boys with the fear of God. So he looks at these two boys and he says, Johnny, where is God? He thought, let's bring God into the picture. These boys will get the fear of God and they'll come right. And Johnny looks at the priest and he goes. So the priest looks at John and Johnny again. He says, where is God? And they are. We haven't got him. We... Finally, he gets his most impressive voice and he says, John, Johnny, where is God? And Johnny eyes go wide as they can and he grabs John's hand and he turns around and they race down the aisle, out the church door, down the street. And John's saying, Johnny, Johnny, why are we running? What's going on? What's that? Why do we have to run out of church? And Johnny looks to Johnny and says, they've lost God and they're blaming it on us. <laughs> My point is this. Many people in this world have lost God. To the Israelites, he was the God of the book. He was the God of the temple and the tabernacle. He was the God who was near them but not with them. He was a God they understood, but he was not with them. Then, 2,000 years ago, everything changes so that we can call him Emmanuel, God with us. In the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. And our hope, the reason we're doing this is so that you and I Grow in the reality of God with us. In the boardroom, in the traffic, in the budget meeting. Some of you couples here know what I say. A couple yesterday was telling me about the weekly budget meeting. For some of us who have gone through financial peace, husband and wife, if you're married, have a, a budget meeting. He's there. When you can't balance, he's there. When you don't know how you're going to get your kid to school and you to work on the doctor and all of those plans you need to make in the day, God is with us. When you're lying awake at night and you're hearing noises in the garden and you're fearing for your safety, God is with us. When you heard about whether we worry, can we add any time to our life? When the worries of life press in, God is with us. And so God... My, uh, thanks, Howard. God has always intended to be with his people. If you look in Genesis chapter, chapter 3, God created all that we know, and then he created Adam and Eve. And uh, uh, I see I don't write it down. Let's go there quickly. Genesis chapter, chapter 3. Make sure I'm on track. 
Genesis chapter 3, it says the serpent was more crafty. He tricked them. And then if we read, come down to verse 6, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good. She desired it, did what God told her not to do. Then verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So it seems to me... That God the Father had a habit. I mean, can you imagine the, the glory of the beginning of this creation where God himself would bring himself to walk in the garden? Can I suggest that when you get home from work, that you just try to go and walk around the lawn. Look at the leaves. If you don't have one, then find a park on the way home or go walk on the pavement. Maybe if you have a family, maybe if you have a spouse, take him or her with you. <laughs> just take five minutes. There is something that happens in the garden in the cool of the day, even still. And God the Father comes, why? Because he wants to walk with his creation. He wants to walk with Adam and Eve. And they say, they say this in verse 9, but but they weren't there, they hid from him. And the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid And from the beginning, right through today, never mind the beginning of the New Testament era, we have mankind facing a God who wants to be with us, and yet we hide from Him. Have you ever struggled to repent to the Lord? There's about three or four honest people that are looking at me. (laughs) Ever struggled? And it's like, man, if, if I don't own up, God won't know, right? If I don't say, Jesus, forgive me for stealing the neighbor's peters, uh, confessions, hey, right here. Yeah. If I don't repent, God won't know. And if he doesn't know, then he won't hold it against me. Isn't that cool? You see, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid, so I hid. And right from the beginning, God's intention is to be with his people. Begins in the garden with Adam and Eve. We see it's experienced it's ex- experienced, uh, he brings the, ta- the tabernacle and the temple into the Israelites' uh, context. It's God's original intention. Begins in Eden, experience in Jesus. For God so loved the world, what? He came, he gave his son who chose to come and be with us. And it will be so in eternity. <laughs> the marriage feast of the Lamb has come. The bride has made themselves ready. God has always intended to be with his people. The second thing I want to say this morning is the fact that God is with us means this, that I am never alone. I mean, even Michael Jackson figured that out. For those of you that don't know who Michael Jackson is, just look on YouTube and you'll figure it out. I'm never alone because he wants to be with us. He wants to be known and he wants to be present. And the best part is he's done absolutely everything necessary to accomplish that. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> he's not saying, Craig, when you do a certain number of Hail Marys, when you work, walk on your knees, when you give to the poor, when you dump flick flacks, and then I'll be with you. No, no. He's taken the initiative. Why, when it's your birthday, do you have to take cake to the office? It's your birthday. They should take cake to you. Yeah? Where's Chloe? There, there you are. Chloe did a 21st party how many months ago? A while ago. A little while ago. Yeah? We all went there. We ate her food. 
She gave prizes. Everyone went home with a gift. It was her birthday. She made the invitation. She did, and with friends and helpers, for sure. They did the decorations. They booked the hall. They made the food. They prepared the gifts. Made sure that she chatted to everyone in the room. Yeah? It was her birthday. (laughs) And here God wanted to do the same. He invited us into relationship with Him. He made sure that I got an invitation, not just if you'd like to come turn up. (laughs) He did everything necessary to get me there. He did the spiritual work to allow me to enter into relationship with Him. He wants to be with us. It means that I am never alone. Uh, Let's have a look quickly in uh, Psalm 139. Probably my favorite passage of Scripture. Psalms is before Proverbs. I'm getting carried away. Psalm 139. It begins, you there, Psalm 139? It begins, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. (laughs) You know what the problem when, when you get to know someone is that they get to know you? For you guys that are single and for those of you that are married, think back. You met the girl. I tell you, (laughs) my poor wife in the front row. The first time Colette and I went out with some friends in a group, I I, I nearly scuppered the whole deal. I'm doing some maths. In about just less, tomorrow, a week's time, we've been married for 24 years. That first evening, I did something that nearly called this whole thing quits. I thought I looked pretty fine. She thought I didn't. And she was probably right. <laughs> She's trained me well, hasn't she? Anyway, <laughs> you see, the problem is when you like someone, the problem is you've got to get to know them. And when you get to know them, you get to know them. And sometimes the reason we keep our distance from God is because we don't want to, Him to know us that well. Because you'll find out stuff about us. God with us. I'm never alone. He wants to be with us. He wants to be known. He wants to be present. Lord, you've searched me and you know me and you still like me. In brackets. It says, you know, when I sit and I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You even know the, the things in my head and you still like me. You still want to be with me. Oh, man. <laughs> I could just read this over and over, and then we'd be finished. It says, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You, hurt, you hem me in behind and before. You put your hand upon me. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed under the sea, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I go to the other side of the sea, you're there. I can't get away from you. Now, can I just say, that is both a promise and a threat. You try to run from the Lord? He's so committed. He wants to be with us. He will follow us wherever we go. You've searched me. There's nowhere I can go without you. It goes on to say, you created my inmost being in verse 13. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You know what? You knit me. You made me. You were present when my DNA was formed. That's how well you know me. And you still choose to be God with me. He wants to be present. 
He wants to be present. This is the real offer that God makes. You know, loneliness, the, the uh, psychiatrists tell us loneliness is distress caused by a lack of satisfactory relationships. Not being alone. You can physically have no one else present and not be lonely. You can be sitting right here this morning and be lonely. Um, some of the guys here work for big companies. Uh, some of the companies in town, the head offices, 3,000 plus people in an office block under one roof. You can be lonely. A hermit may not feel lonely. Conversely, you can be lonely even evoking that alone in a crowd feeling. One of these psychiatrists who did a study uh, said, the happy looking faces, the music, the colors, the parties, the celebrations deepen the glass bubble isolation from joy that others are ha having. You know that this time is a challenge for many. Mm -hmm. Challenge for many. I want to say you're not alone because God is with us. You may be going through the motions that you really don't feel, but you don't really don't feel connected to anyone. You don't feel you're part of a group of friends and not feel close to anyone. A study released in 2017 by the insurance giant Cigna found that loneliness is as harmful to one's health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Interesting. I had to laugh at the irony. So I'm on this website reading this um, psychological study. And in the middle of the text, you know how they get those pop-ups? You know those advertise, advertisements pop up? So I'm reading about loneliness and the, 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 uh, this thing of, uh, it's, it's saying that three quarters of Americans experience moderate to high levels of loneliness, this study said. And then bang in the middle of the text is an, adver uh, an advertisement for Scotch whiskey. <laughs> like, problem? That's what the advertisers would have you. Who needs a friend when you've got one in a bottle, right? Mark talks about his friend Paul. Maybe he's another, another friend. Won't help. Won't help. You can pour whatever you want into that gap inside of you. But until God is with us, <laughs> we will never not be lonely. Jesus trumpets into this lonely, why am I here world? The meaning of life. And he says, I am Emmanuel. I will be with you. He is the God who took the initiative. <laughs> you know that this phrase, you will know that I am the Lord, appears in the Bible 19 times. You will know that I am the Lord. I don't know about you, but, but, but maybe it's just me. Maybe you guys are all sorted. But are there times in your life where you go, Lord, uh, like, are you here? Are you real? I, 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 I know you, but like, really, Lord, like, help me out here. And the Bible says 19 times, then you will know that I am the Lord. <laughs> He's not the God of hide and go seek. <laughs> I love how Jesus keeps popping up in the Gospels when they're not, when not expected. Remember, they were in a locked upper room. After crucifixion, <laughs> and Jesus stepped in. Yeah, he 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 just inserts himself into conversations. Um, they they were on a stormy lake, and the ship was about to capsize, and Jesus comes walking along the water right into their conversation. <laughs> they were disheartened and thought they had failed, and there they were fishing, and Jesus calls them for breakfast. I love the way in the Bible that Jesus keeps inserting himself into people's lives. Hmm. 
So who is this God with us? The last point this morning. Who is this God with us? This is because it's important. We know who we can expect him to be. He's done everything necessary to be God with us. But who is he? Who is he? Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, as we said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. They had the option to walk with God, but they had a wrong concept of God. In Exodus chapter 33 verse 18, Moses says to God, how, if you don't go with us, how will people around me know that you are with us? And God says to, to, Moses says to God, now show me your glory. The Lord says, there is a place near me where you can stand on a, on a rock. And in Exodus 34 verse 6, Exodus chapter 4, 4 verse 36, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. I find this so amazing that God himself <laughs> takes words to explain. You can give us that slide, Howard, please. I think it's the next, that's it. That God takes time to explain himself to human beings. And he passes in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. You know, there's a whole bunch of really fancy names. Maybe you know them all that uh, speak of the attributes of God. And I'd like to finish by bringing our attention to some of them. You see, we know that God is light. He's shone into the darkness. He wants to be known. You can go back to that, that list, please, Howard. We know that God has acted. He has done the necessary to insert himself into human history, to be made known. We know that he has spoken. He has spoken by creation. He has spoken in the life of Jesus. He has spoken in the Bible. We know that God is self-existent. God is not created. He is the uncreated creator. God is self-existent. He is. He has no cause. He doesn't depend on anything else to keep him going. God's batteries won't run flat. There's no one that needs to charge him up. We say that God is immutable. That's such a lovely word. It's one of my favorites. Immutable. It means that you can't change his shape. You can't change who he is. God is perfect. He never changes. Nor can he change with respect to who he is. In other words, because he can't change, I have absolute faith in him. I don't have to worry that I'm going to get something I didn't bargain for. Lord, you were friendly yesterday. Today you gave me the cold shoulder. No, he's immutable. He doesn't change. He's imminent. It's a lovely word. Imminent. It means that God is present in the world. He's around us all the time. <laughs> he's eternal. He's perfect. He transcends all time. How, how, how much of this last week have you spent rushing? <laughs> Anyone like a little more time this next week? Anyone, if I could give you five more minutes? Just five. Would you take it? Now, the cool thing is that God is eternal. He is not rushed. He's not late. He's not early. He does not suffer the stresses that you and I do according to time frames. He is exactly at the right moment in time every moment. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time. Psalm 139 we read. He's omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. There's nothing that he is uh, limited in. There's nothing that he cannot do. Finally, he is omniscient, which means he knows everything. <gasps> yes, he does. And he loves us anyway. And he's done the necessary 
to help us get free from those things we don't want to, to know so that God can be with us. So what does all this mean? Because uh, otherwise we've just spoken about Christmas and we can go home. But let me conclude by giving us just some earthing in our real lives. So what does it mean that God is self-existent? Well, it means that I can depend on Him to be the same all the time. There's no set of circumstances that produces God who I expect. God just is. The fact that he's transcendent means that he's not, like I said, not limited in any way. He's not out of time. He hasn't got too little time for me. He's always got time. The fact that he's imminent means that we can have awe in this existent God who is everywhere. The fact that he's immutable means I can depend on him. The fact that he's omnipresent means that he's everywhere. I'm never alone. The fact that he's omnipotent means that he knows my future and he can act in any way necessary. He's not limited in any, in any way. And finally, the fact that he's omniscient means he knows my deepest secrets, hopes, and dreams, and he knows what we need from him. I'm hoping as you go through this day and this coming week, nothing can shake you from this one thought. Emmanuel means God is with us. When you're feeling shaken, you remember he is the immutable, the unchanging God. When you're feeling disempowered, you remember he is all-powerful. When you're feeling forgetful or worried about what's in your memory, he is omniscient. He knows it all and loves us anyway. Let's stand. I wonder if you close your eyes, if you don't mind, and just take a moment. Could you just present yourself to the Lord? Remember Adam and Eve in the garden. They, they heard him, and then they were scared, so they hid. You can come to a church meeting and still hide from God, <laughs> in inverted commas. Would you just lay your heart and your life bear before him in your mind and just say, Jesus, this is where I'm at, this is who I am. And I pray you would be with us. For all of the myriad of things, we're not talking about, that's why it's so important, who we speak of in terms of being with us for the rushed, for the fearful, for the hopeful, for those being plagued by their memories, even as we heard in Breaking Up Bread, for those that are feeling disempowered, impotent, for those who are feeling uncertain. Hmm. The radical revolution that God brings in the beginning of the New Testament is that he is not far off. He is not just a God of a book, but he's the God that comes near. He's God with us. And Father, I pray this morning that we would welcome you into every part of our lives. And Father, where we struggle, where we wrestle, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to open our hands and let you enter into that moment. In Jesus' name.
Lord, at this time of year, we ask Jesus that you would help us to be so aware of you throughout the day. Walk with us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.